Good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have a rock star guest on today. Her name is Jennifer Moran. I hope I'm saying her last name right. She'll tell me. Anyway, hey, we'll be right back. I have the one and only amazing Jennifer. I can't even say her second name. <laughs> Jennifer, welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, I'm happy to be here. I like, you know, slid in Mach 10 with my hair on fire, but I'm here. Uh, you're here. That's all that matters. And hey, Ken, um, you can call me anything you want, Ken, you know? Just, don't, just don't call me Moron, right? <laughs> Moran. <laughs> Uh, I like ha people haven't actually done that, have they? Well, way back when I was in pharmaceutical sales, before I became an entrepreneur, a lot of times the nurses would come out and go, you know, Mrs. Uh, moron, the doctor will see you now. Oh my! I'm God. sure the doctor wants to see a moron. They probably see plenty of morons without me. Oh my lord, have mercy! <laughs> I hopefully you corrected them. I did. I would. Well, sometimes I did. You know, sometimes it wasn't. It was pointless. So, <laughs> whatever. You've got to be a moron to say that. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, Weird Al Yankovic. I think he did a parody uh, <laughs> called Word Crimes, and there yeah. was a scene where he holds up "Don't be a, a Moran" instead of "Don't be a moron." And oh my gosh, I posted oh it on gosh. my own Facebook wall and made fun of myself. Just saying. That is so funny. That's what happens when you marry that name. So, so look, I I created this show a couple years ago. I know you've seen it. Um, I created it to to help people get unstuck in life, and I know that you have been incredibly successful in um, your ventures in life, um, and I'm sure you've had some some walls that you've hit as well. So. Oh. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. That that's what this is about. So so why don't we start with um where you were born and raised? And look at this. We're getting some um, amazing comments. Of course I gotta put my glasses on to see it. <laughs> hey, mine are permanent. Yeah. Mine are permanent. Yeah. So we have Sophia saying wonderful Aww. things about you. I love we, Sophia. She's, she's amazing. Doug Wing from the Little Giant Ladder Company. His dad invented Little Giant Ladders. Really? Amazing. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's, he's incredible. So, so Jennifer, I, I so I so want to call you Jen. You know that, right? I want I, and to I told you, you just for you. You will be the one that owns Jen for me. <laughs> Trademarked to Ken Walls. All right, cool. So, Jen, where were you born and raised? You sound like you have like a Connecticut accent. You know, here's what's 
what exactly is that, Ken? I'm just kidding. Oh, Educate me. What is the Connecticut? I don't know. I know. It's kind of like having a a, a Midwest accent. People say that right. all the time. And I'm like, what does a Midwesterner sound like? I have no idea. That's me. Is that you? <laughs> yeah. That's your accent? So I guess. You. Okay. Uh, well, I was actually born in Portsmouth, Virginia, um, you know, back in the day. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, here's what's crazy. So my dad was from New York, born and raised Central Park West of Manhattan. Um, but he was in the Army. He was a, a colonel in the Army and he was in the Medical Corps. He was a physician and he actually was the commanding officer at Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio. And that's where he met my mother, who was a newspaper reporter. And she was covering an awards banquet he was speaking at. And that's how they met. So wow. I jokingly say my accent is a combination of New York and Texas. So I speak really fast with a Southern drawl. <laughs> wow. So, so your, your dad was from New York. My dad was from New York. Yeah, okay. he sure was. He was, so did he have that, that thick New York accent? You know, he did. He definitely yeah. did. And, you know, to me growing up now, we only lived in Virginia for about four years of my life. Then when he retired fully from the military, we moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, and he went into quote unquote private practice. He was chief surgeon at Wake County Medical Center in Raleigh. And then when he fully retired, we moved back to San Antonio right before high school. And so I consider, you know, San Antonio, my hometown, this is where I grew up. But in terms of my father, it was hilarious because to me, just kind of technically being a Southern girl my whole life, it was just a New York accent. But when we would go to New York, which was about once a year to visit family, it was interesting to me because he, he just sort of morphed into this completely different person, number one, in terms of how he acted. And, you know, just it was hilarious. But then he could also just pick up like, you know, nobody's business. Like if somebody was in from the Bronx or from Queens he could hear that. I could not hear that at all, but he wow. definitely could. And that was interesting to me, you know? Wow. Yeah. So, so your, your, um, your life was uh, as a kid. I mean, you, you, uh, you, you were exposed to some cool cultural stuff. I kind of was, you know, I have sort of a crazy story about all that. So first of all, my maiden name was Merritt which is why you say you can't even pronounce my second name, right? Well, I was going to say Marette, but... Yeah, well, yeah. apparently it was short for Maretsky, but I uh. did not even find that out till I was about 14 or 15 years old. Um, growing mm. up, uh, I went to an Episcopal private school. My father told me that our background was French, and I did find out after the fact um, that... Basically, the bottom line is my father's family, they were all Ashkenazi Jews from Russia. Wow. And my grandfather, who I never met, he passed away long before I was born. He was a very prominent um, dentist and orthodontist in Manhattan. And it was sort of like a Jefferson story moving on up to the east side. They went from, yeah. I guess, somewhere in Hudson, New York, I think, um, to mm -hmm. Manhattan. And they had to hide their Judaism, so to speak, because nobody in you know, upscale New York was going to go to a Russian immigrant Jew as their dentist. So they told everybody they were French. Um, they went by the last name Merritt. And um, in fact, when my grandfather passed away, he was actually president of the Orthodontic Society in Manhattan. Now, this was wow. back in the turn of the century. I mean, my father was born in 1911. I used to freak wow. out my friends by showing 
them his driver's license because it said seven nine eleven. <laughs> my friends oh were like, my God. so yeah, wow. when I was born, it was a second marriage for he and my mom. But so it was crazy. So I never knew that whole part of my history. Um, I guess my father, uh, apparently when his dad died, which was when he was 13, he converted to Christianity when he was a teenager. And so I was raised as a Christian and never really knew that. Now, my sister thinks that I was a complete idiot, my, my half sister who kind of grew up with me, because we would go to White Plains, New York. And my aunt was, you know, very stereotypical, so to speak. You know, uh, you got to be sensitive in these times how you say that. But she just really was, you know you know, dwelling puppy. Oh my gosh. You know, locks and bagels. And oh, yeah. my sister's like, how did you not pick up on that? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm living in Raleigh, North Carolina. You know, I have no clue, you know, so give me a break. But, um, oh my God, that's hilarious. Yeah. And it was an interesting <laughs> revelation when I found out because we were actually, my father, you know, on a sad note was he was very ill at the time, but my aunt had flown down and we were having um, sort of a dinner, family dinner together before we, uh, before my father went in for some surgery. And uh, she lived six months out of the year in France and her major had been French and she spoke pretty much fluent French. And um, I had been taking French since kindergarten, which don't ask me anything in French. All I can do is sing a Christmas carol in French. That's it. (laughs) Still, but uh, she was talking to me and, you know, I was about 13, 14 at the time and she's talking to me in French. And then she basically asked me, you know, what do you love about French? And I I literally said, because it's our history and (laughs) went silent and she looks up at my dad and goes, Ray, you told her we were French, you know, in like this Uh. accent. And uh, I was shocked and my dad like sunk down in his chair. It was like, it was, it was an awkward moment to say the least. So what, Hey, what's this comment Joe Ingram's making? What's that all about? Dude, I just got the most badass. Am I allowed to say that on your show? Yes, of course. Say it. Badass Jeep. Um, I bought it uh, two days ago. And it's a, a Jeep Rubicon 2020, brand new. I actually, uh, I never buy brand new cars, just saying. I'm, I'm yeah. more frugal than that. But they were making some great deals on, on cars right now, obviously. And yeah. uh, we had a Suburban with a bajillion miles on it. And uh, all my kids are older now and going off to college. And so, yeah, I treated myself. I got a brand new Nice. Car. I love it. And Joe Ingram, shout out to you, Joe. He's amazing. His wife uh, is a Jeep dealer. And Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, drop it in the comments. But I think he told me his wife was like the number one Jeep dealer in their region recently. It might be in the United States, but I think she's definitely hit. I know that she's hit some national records, so I I don't know currently. So 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 growing up, you had all of this um, culture, I'll just say culture. Um, and you found out when did you find out that you were actually half Jewish? So I was 14, 15 at the time, obviously, but really, I really, it was sort of unconfirmed. Does that make sense? And then, you know, so my dad died when I was 16 and left a lot of unanswered questions for me, as you can imagine. Um, My mother ended up passing away when I was 22. So I lost both my parents. I actually lost nine. uh, span of nine years, I lost four family members. It was kind of crazy. Wow. Um, 
but you know, I, I definitely, um, you know, just a little side note. I mean, God was always by my side and yeah. it really grew me as a person to go through that. But I say all that to say that there were years that I had a lot of, you know, unanswered questions. DNA wasn't a thing back then. And right. um, really it was my aunt. She had retired in Hawaii. Um, you know, her children were retired out there as well. And when I was pregnant with my first child, my husband and I flew out there and uh, spent some time with her. And she sort of filled me in on somewhat why, uh, you know, my dad had, he didn't really lie to me, but he kind of left out that detail. Right. So, mm. um, you know, she explained sort of the background story on that. And it was, it was pretty interesting, um, you know, to say the least, but then fast forward, I finally did DNA just because, you know, on my dad's side of the family, a lot of people had passed away from cancer and now being in the health and wellness business for the last six years, um, I was just very intrigued. So I did a lot of different DNA tests. And of course, that came back that I am indeed 49.8% uh, Ashkenazi Jew. So, wow. Yeah. So wow. and it, and it's a crazy heritage. And you have to really be careful and do a lot of genetic research. Because yeah. I jokingly say they're not to bash Kentucky or Arkansas, but they were like the Kentucky of the Jews. You know, they all intermarried, married their, their sisters and brothers and cousins. Oh, and, yeah. Which is wow. That explains a lot about me, Ken. <laughs> that is funny. So, so you, um, wow, you lost your parents early in life. I did. I did. You know, and, and I don't want to say that they set me up for that, but they definitely prepared me. I think they knew, um, you know, going in, I mean, it was a second marriage for both of them. Um, I had half siblings on both sides, although my mother's daughter, my dad adopted, and she grew up technically as my full sister, but she's yeah. my little sister. But she was 13 years older than me, and I jokingly call her Doogie Hauser because she graduated at 16 and went off to Wheaton College up in Massachusetts. But she was wow. like a second mother to me, um, and later she later became a PhD in immunology, and so she's she's kind of more the serious one in the family. I'm a little bit of the goofball and the rubble and the black sheep, but uh, you know, in terms of being the entrepreneur and you know, yeah. all of that, because with my father being a physician, she was a PhD. Um, my father's two kids from his first marriage, one was a lawyer, one became a PhD in sociology and taught at AM. And um, you know, I grew up in this very degreed family where you went to school, you got a good job, you yeah. know, 40 years, get the gold watch, you know, the whole nine yards. So it was interesting, but my dad had definitely had an entrepreneurial streak and uh, I saw that growing up and I, I always say that must be where I got it from. I don't know. So did you, uh, did you, so you graduated high school? Yes. Graduated college yeah. also. Texas. You Texas went to college. Texas. What did you study in college? What I was, was a public relations major. Okay. What, what was interesting is I went in broadcast journalism. My mother was a newspaper reporter and I, had done a lot of journalism, worked on the school paper and all that in high school and really thought I wanted to go into broadcast journalism. But, you know, speaking of walls, I mean, my own insecurities got the best of me. I realized it was a very competitive field. Um, it was a lot of not what you knew, but who you knew and also how you looked. And, you know, being a kid really at that time with so many insecurities, I just thought, oh, I don't know. And I'd watched my mother um, in Raleigh when we lived in Raleigh. She was actually the public relations director for the city of Raleigh um, wow. for several years. And I was super proud of her. She's kind of my boss babe role model because she got written up at the time. This was back in the 70s 
for being uh, one of the highest paid government government officials in the city of Raleigh, even though she was a woman and that, you know, was a big deal back then, obviously. So um, she was definitely a role model for me. So I switched to public relations and advertising at tech. And here's where the kind of the funny part comes in for people who know me. Um, Eventually Texas tech, I think it was around my sophomore year, junior year. They no longer offered PR and advertising as one major you had, they split it. And you had to pick one. And so I picked public relations because I didn't want to do sales. And you had to take courses in sales for advertising. I was like, I do not like salespeople. They're creepy. They're weird. I'm picturing like door to door guys. And um, so, yeah, I was like, no, I'm not doing. Wow. Doing yeah. So, so, um, so you graduated college and where did you go from there? So it was interesting, you know, my mother passed away um, in January of 1989. I graduated in June of 89. And oh, um, and so it was definitely a pivot point for me. Um, I, you know, I was dating a gentleman at the time who was from Dallas. So we moved to Dallas um, and I ended up just literally hiring a recruiter, which was kind of a thing back then and ended up getting a job with Dunn and Bradstreet business information services. And ironically, I just wanted to do like sort of training and customer service where you would go in. Um, if you're not familiar with Dunn and Bradstreet there, if you have a Dunn yeah. or a DNB rating as a business, they're, they're kind of the big brother of business. Yeah. So I would go in and, you know, work with their clients. And it was funny because the man that I interviewed with who I loved Jim Edwards to this day, uh, amazing man. He was like, I just, I just really think you need to be in sales. Uh, you just, I uh, just your personality. And I was like, nope, nope, don't like salespeople. Don't want to do sales. You'll make more money in sales. I'm like, nope, not doing it. So they put me in customer service, but Jim was on me like almost every day. And what was hilarious was a lot of the customers I would go to service. Eventually, they would really we'd build a relationship, and I'd start advising them on other services they could buy. Next thing you know, they're buying more services, and finally. My manager, okay, Jennifer, you're giving up commission at this point. You know, right. all these people are calling us back, going, "Hey, we met with Jennifer, and she told us about this." And just what do did it. You, what, what did you have against sales? Um, I think it was a lot of just fear. You know, always, yeah. right? They, yeah. they, you know, I, I love the quote about fear: false evidence appearing real. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So my false evidence was just, you know, sort of what I'd heard growing up. My parents would say about salespeople. Um, which were normally the annoying people that would come to the door selling yep. things back then, whether it was Kirby vacuums or, you know, whatever it was, Electrolux or whatever back in the day. Yeah. And um, so I just thought, ew, that's kind of creepy. And, <laughs> and honestly, I, I didn't grow up around salespeople. So, you know, I was very, um, I guess, unaware that there's some of the highest pe- paid people on the planet, you know, yeah. And um, yeah. it wasn't until fast forward many years later when uh, my sister, Melissa, and I were sitting down having a conversation one day and, you know, she was working in research as a PhD in immunology. And, you know, we started talking income and she's like, wow, <laughs> you make way more than me, you know, in sales yeah. than she was at the time in research uh, where she was, you know, and I, actually, I think she was working for NIH at the time. So she was working with the government. So, wow, kind of did her. Uh, income. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, you know, those, those are some real true statistics that salespeople are the highest paid people on the planet. I, yeah. I love what Charles said here. <laughs> yes. Oy Oy vey. Vey. Yeah. So very timely, Charles. Uh, but you know, um, but yeah. they're also some of the lowest paid people on the planet. 
Like, it, yeah. if, right? If you don't, if you don't have the skill set, you can be really, really broke. So, so. Um, well, let me say something on that, Ken, because I believe everybody sells, right? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, if you're married, you sold somebody something. You yep. know what I mean? Like, I I'm just saying. So yep. everybody can sell, but it's, you know, it's will over skill. And yeah. um, a lot of people, just because they have the talent, doesn't mean that they apply it or right. you know, skill to, to do it. They just don't want to apply it. And that was that was actually me for, you know, obviously um, a few years. So, yeah. yeah. Well, so, so you, in, at Dun and Bradstreet, you eventually moved into a sales field or department position yeah. rather. Um, and, and how did that go? Did it go well for you? It went, it went very well. Um, I actually ended up breaking a record for the region. I've got wow. something hanging in my office here, uh, about that. But um, yeah, I, I sold a record-breaking, um, wow. what they called new piece of business to Phillips Industries, which was a huge uh, company in Dallas. And that sort of set the precedent for the rest of my corporate sales career. Um, I went from Dun & Bradstreet. Um, I worked for them for about four and a half years and ended up, um, this, when I ended up in Houston, I ended up going to work for a hospice, ironically. It was at the time, the nation's only for-profit hospice called VTOS. Wow. And it was a, it was a fit. Um, the recruiter called me and she was like, you know, I see that you sell services and it was a service. And then I had the medical background somewhat because of my family. But then also I had interned as a public relations major for Methodist hospital um, in Lubbock when I was there at Texas Tech. So, um, and, and I had a personal reason for wanting to really promote hospice to physicians because although we were in the military system with both my parents, no one had ever offered us hospice. And, and hospice was somewhat of a new concept back then, you know, yeah. um, when my parents were ill back in the 80s. But um, I found out about it after the fact, and I felt like that whole multidisciplinary approach with the social workers and the chaplains really could have helped me a lot as a teenager um, going through all that at the time, as well as my sister who was doing the, you know, the best she could to sort of mother me through that. And so, um, you know, I really did have a huge why uh, for hospice and, and it was a passion and um, it, it made me one of the top salespeople there to the point where I ended up getting recruited away to go sell medical equipment for CR Bard. And wow. um, and uh, that was my first foray into big money um, and a big sales position. Um, I, you know, I was proud of myself because when the recruiter called me about that position, it was actually the same recruiter that I'd worked with to get my position at VTOS. And she said, Jennifer, this man has been through. Uh, you know, the manager had been through, I don't know how many candidates and he would get, he had gotten down to the, to two final finalists before yeah. over the course of almost a year, but there was a test and there's still a test out there called the SRI test sales rep intelligence test that Gallup offers to companies where they'll take your top performing reps and they'll design um, an evaluation around it. It's a verbal evaluation where they call you on the phone yeah. And um, it's kind of like cable. They just say, we'll call you between this time and this time on this day. So you're just sitting there nervous as heck. In fact, I think the day I got my SRI call, I literally popped a beer and was <laughs> drinking a beer, uh, answering these questions because they ask you very broad questions um, to see. So how like, do you day drink? 
Yeah, literally. <laughs> Thank God that wasn't a question. Uh, but they do ask you things like, you know, have you ever stolen anything? Have oh, you, really? Yeah. Have you ever lied? And, then, and you'll say to them, well, can you elaborate on that? And they're like, no, just answer the question. And and it's kind of crazy because I didn't know if my answers. So I did what I did best. PR major, right? Yeah. Have you ever lied? And I'm like, yes, I lie every day because I'll walk into a doctor's office and the nurse up front who, or, you know, or the receptionist, like if she has a pink mohawk and is like, hey, what do you think of my hair? I'm like, oh my gosh, you look fabulous, girl. You look amazing because I'm not going to tell her, you know, that her hair looks horrible. I need to get back in there and see that doctor. And I guess right. that's the right answer because Bard hired me. And uh, my manager later told me that I literally was, he said he wasn't supposed to tell me this, by the way, but his name's Kimmon Woods. So if he ever sees your show, I might have to send it to him. Hi, Kimmon. Um, but Kimmon said that I literally scored uh, the highest on the SRI test in his entire career. Wow. And I was like, yeah, baby. Like <laughs> that went on my resume, literally. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, we have Mike Muni watching. What's up, hey, Mike? Mike? Oh, I love that dude. He is so amazing. I worship Mike. He's, I know he's incredible. He's, he's kind of like you, Ken. People don't realize how badass you are either, Ken. But Mike is like this gentle giant, but no one realizes he created a multi-billion dollar category. Indus yes. Complete industry. industry. I yeah. know. Mike's amazing. He's been on the show. He's been on my show. He's He's incredible. So, and Charles said that it, I think he's blaming you that we have an entire generation of day drinkers now. <laughs> Could it be from my health and wellness company? <laughs> yeah. Could it have vodka added? We don't know. Uh, no, it's fine. So funny. So, so you, you, um, so you sold in corporate America. <clears throat> We've established that for sure. You, you, and it sounds like you've done, you've done very well in that. Um, but at some point, I mean, in that, that sounds like it was in your early twenties, early to mid twenties ish. Yeah, it was early twenties. I was really, I was this barred for a very short time. Um, you know, I felt like you I what? Can you say that again. I was with CR Bard for a very short time. I, I, okay. sort of, I, I jokingly say I came, I conquered, and I left because I won. Who, who is that? What's what's that? CR Bard, uh, which was the company. It was medical equipment, and it was selling oh. energy equipment and disposables. So I had this little machine that was about the size of a, you know, I don't know, a laptop that sold for. Well, it depended. Government pricing was sixty two hundred, but it was eighty two hundred. It, I always said it sold for the price of a small Toyota, but wow. it was an ultrasound that would scan the bladder for residual urine. Not that you want to hear all this so that they wouldn't have to do as much intermittent cathing. And, uh, and then I sold disposables and I won't get into what those were, but they were primarily catheters. So wow. I, I jokingly say it was a lot of fun at parties because um, I had uh, plastic models of, uh, you know, different genitalia, so oh my gosh. show people how to do, because I was in service, the nurses, uh, on how to do, do a the path. Yeah, because uh, if you've ever heard of a Foley catheter, Dr. Foley worked for CR Bard. So they're considered wow. the gold standard in urology, if we have any urology fans on here. Um, I'm thinking probably not, but <laughs> maybe. You never yeah. know. <laughs> but I sold the uh, largest account uh, for Bard patient care division ever. Um, and when that happened, it was to Brook Army Medical Center. 
Um, shortly after that, I had started dating my husband. Now we've been married almost 25 years, but I was traveling all the time. I was gone three weeks out of every month. So he yeah. said, you got to do something different. And I ended up, you know, which I thought was very beneath me at the time. Cause we used to make fun of drug reps, but my, you know, at the time to be sister-in-law was a drug rep and she somewhat recruited me into pharmaceutical sales and to make a very long story short, I was a cardiovascular specialty rep in pharmaceutical sales in the Texas Medical Center for 15 years with Novartis, AstraZeneca. And then my last company was a biotech company. And that was before I entered network marketing, uh, which is where I've been for the last 14 years. So and and so we're going to talk. A, we'll, we'll touch on the pharmaceutical thing just a little but um, You know, um, I'm not a I'm not a huge big pharma fan myself but um and i don't think i think there's a lot i know you're you're one of them um we've had we've had lots of conversations offline um <laughs> karen toddy <laughs> i miss that we're day drinking <laughs> here's karen actually this is uh this is a health drink but hey i will so, not judge you karen <laughs> Because all my friends that are watching who know me well, they, yeah. they call me a hypocrite. They're like, that's that's not a health drink. That's Zinfandel she has in that cup. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, look, anybody I've ever known in pharmaceutical sales was, was, I mean, even if they sucked, they were still making six figures. Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, I'm sure you were in the high six figures. And, and what's interesting to me is you decided you had a moment of clarity, we'll call it. Mm -hmm. And, and you said, you know, I'm really tired of making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. I think I'm going to get into network marketing. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, everybody wakes up and says, please sign me up in network marketing which basically back then I thought was a pyramid scheme. So, right. No, no, that was not, you know, I, especially now in our industry, I say, you know, if anyone says that they looked for a network marketing company and joined it, at least people my age, they're lying. Cause <laughs> most of right. them were taped and thrown in the back of a trunk and taken to their first network marketing meeting. I mean, it's, it's highly unusual uh, for people to, you know, seek out network marketing. Now, I think it's a little more common today. Um, but, you know, at least and, and you know, maybe I'm, I'm coming from a different reference point, obviously, just on the way I was raised. But, you know, being in a house full of technically degreed professionals. Right. Yeah. Uh, just network marketing was a joke in our family. And, you know, back then, of course, the only company that I would hear on a regular basis being made fun of was Amway, um, which, you know, I knew zero about network marketing, all I knew is don't do it, basically. And so fast forward, um, I was working for a biotech company called CV Therapeutics. It's now Gilead. And I it was a brand new job for me. And I was super excited about it because, you know, Ken, I will say this just to kind of give you a little background. So over the course of those 15 years that I was in pharma, I proceeded to have family. And, um, you know, I had my first child, Merit. Uh, and then four years, roughly later, we had Michael. And then three and a half years later, we had Karis. 
And yes, I made a ton of money and I, I literally hit the ceiling in network in network marketing in uh, pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Um, I was a district trainer. I was in a management candidate program for a while. I'd been put up for pharmaceutical rep of the year. I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life. When I joined the biotech company, they had offered me stock options. I was driving a Lexus as a company car. They were telling me I could be retired as a millionaire in four years on those stock options. The whole board was from Amgen and Genentech, if you've done any investing in biotech. So uh, that was my ticket out because, and a lot of people would say, well, why would you want to ticket out from an amazing, well-paying job? Well, my yeah. husband, you know, had, had, had worked in um, construction equipment um, for 15 years as a salesperson and had started his own company on the side that had taken off. And so now we, we both have these two very demanding careers and we're trying to raise <laughs> productive citizens as children. And we were spending a large portion of our income paying someone else to raise our kids. And um, it yeah, was getting uh... tougher and tougher. I mean, it, you know, I don't know if this would resonate with you as a dude, but it's a little difficult uh, for me. I was C-sectioned with all three of my kids. And so yeah, I can't, I, I was not C-sectioned. So I cannot relate. You, no. you haven't had any. So, uh, <laughs> But, you know, it, in the corporate world, they would give you six weeks off. If you had a C-section, it was eight back then. That was it. That's all you wow. got. And so with Merritt, my oldest, I was dropping her off at um, a little Montessori school at eight weeks of age. And I cried wow. the whole, well, I'm a little bit lying. I cried. And then I went, woohoo, and went all the way to the med center because I was, you know, I had this newborn that I'd been with for eight weeks. But but <laughs> overall, it was very... Um, you know, difficult. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I literally, if you've ever seen the movie Bad Moms, I was Mila Kunis. I was that character. I was rolling up in the minivan, throwing the store-bought donuts at the, at the room mom, you know, for everything. I was late all the time picking up my kids, you know, because I'd get stuck down in the med center. Um, I wasn't around during, you know, because we were all specialty in the Texas Medical Center. So I was cardiovascular and respiratory. So during allergy season, we were doing dinner programs 24 seven. So I wouldn't, you know, I'd leave at six thirty seven in the morning, wouldn't get home till 10 o'clock at night. Oh my gosh. So, you know, it, it was, it was a beat down and I'm not saying cry for me. You know, I, I made a lot of money, but at what cost? Right. Right. And so all this is going on with me and um, fast forward, I'm at biotech and um, I meet this girl and the first wave that CV therapeutics hired and, and I'll give you a little foreshadowing too. It's a funny story. But when I was on maternity leave with my third baby, um, while I was on maternity leave, two things happened. Number one, I wrote my very first book called, not shameless plug, Pill Pushers. This is a dog-eared copy. But I, I wrote this with a friend of mine, Sascara, who was working as a district manager at AstraZeneca. I was now getting ready to start my biotech career. and um, it, it, But it, I, it wasn't on the horizon yet. And yeah. I got this phone call uh, and I didn't know the number. So I rolled it to voicemail. And when I listened to it, it was this district manager who had judged me for some contests that I'd won in AstraZeneca. And he said, hey, Jennifer, this is this is George Hill. Um, I'm calling because I have this huge business opportunity for you. I mean, and if you do it right, you'll be retired as a millionaire in three to four years. So call me back. And I literally looked at my husband and went, oh, my God, George joined Amway. Like, I am not <laughs> back. Like, I was not interested in network marketing. And um, that's what I thought it was. 
And fast forward, it wasn't, it was actually, he was calling me about CB therapeutics, which mm -hmm. I ended up taking that job. But in that job, I met the girl who eventually led me to network marketing. Her name's Denise Toot, shout out to Denise. But um, wow. that, that changed the course of my life. Um, and she's the one that introduced me to it. Wow. So, so, um, and, and, and I'm, again, you were in the hundreds of thousands a year. Mm -hmm. right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Total yeah. package. I mean, yeah. Health insurance, pay, health insurance, car. I mean, it was a good quarter yeah. of a million dollars a year or more. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, it makes sense to leave that then to go into network marketing. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yes. Um, but I, I mean, and look, I know people making millions a year in network marketing. So, so, you know, and with the right energy and attitude, you can, you can really do well in network marketing. Um, so you left and what kind of, did you get into Amway then? Cause it sounds like no, you were headed no. down the Amway track. No, we're not going down the Amway track. But shout out to them because I've learned a lot about Amway and they're, they're, yeah. they've created a lot of entrepreneurs and more than anything, yes, they've they created a lot of um, people who have had huge personal growth. Yes. Um, you know, even if they didn't get a lot of income through that program per se, but um, they fought a lot of battles. And, I, you know, to this day, I get a lot of people who go, oh, you're in network marketing like like Amway. Like they Amway? Didn't they get shut down as a pyramid? And I go, do you ever watch the Orlando Magic? <laughs> you know who owns or owned the Orlando Magic? Right. Play in Amway Arena, you know, right. like, no, right. they're, they're just fine. But yeah. um, but they did have a bad in my opinion, approach, obviously, that, yeah. that caused a lot of people to, uh, to, you know, because there's a right way and a wrong way to approach people. Yeah. Um, you know, I tell everybody, if you've got to sell them an opportunity, then you've got to sell them every day to work it. So you don't want to have to sell somebody into becoming an entrepreneur or working for themselves or making side income. That has right. to be a choice they have to make. And a lot of people, at least in my company, the way the, the way we approach it is we really prefer them to be customers first. And yeah. when they fall in love with the product, then they want to refer other people. And, and it, it's, it a lot of times will naturally lead uh, to yeah. them building a business, which now in today's day and age is sort of accepted. I mean, that's technically what affiliate programs are. And right. there's a lot of affiliates out there uh, for different products on Amazon or Instagram or, you know, you know. I'm an, I'm an Amazon influencer. I get paid. I get paid okay. to recommend products. So, yeah, yeah. There's not a thing okay. wrong with it. Yeah. So the way it happened for me, though, to answer your question is um, Denise had overheard. It's kind of a crazy story, but she had overheard a conversation when we were in um, training for CV Therapeutics between my husband and I, uh, who I adore. But he's definitely a little more financial savvy than I am. He's kind of the saver. I'm the spender. And, um, you know, we were we were going to a church at the time that was meeting in school, but they had bought 16 acres to build a church. And I had put us down without telling him for an extra $250 to $300 a month for their building campaign. And uh, he called me when we were in training, not happy because he's <laughs> like, I just got this pledge card in the mail. And why on earth did you put us down for 300 bucks a month? So we're kind of having a discussion about that. And my friend Denise is sitting in the hotel room listening. And I guess she just filed that away because Fast forward, and, and I, Denise didn't even know what she was doing back then, but I literally told her those moments leading up to and into my entry into network marketing, I have taught over and over and over again as a training 
on um, what you need to understand about people. Um, yeah. And that's that they are starved in one of four areas of their life. Always. I mean, us included, you either don't have enough time. You don't have enough money. Um, maybe you don't have enough relationship in terms of, you know, for me as a, as a working mom, I couldn't really um, do things on the relationship side, like be the room mom, be the team mom, things like that. So I threw money at everything. Right. Yeah. Um, instead of actually being there. So that's relationship. And then lastly, now, uh, at least the last six, seven years that I've been involved with health and wellness, um, people are definitely in hello pandemic starved in the area of health. They they are struggling with their yeah. health. I mean, we, we have, un unfortunately, you know, an epidemic of poor health um, here in our country outside of the pandemic. So, yeah, at the end of the day, she didn't really come after me on time, even though I desperately needed my time back. But unlike you, Ken, I knew no one who had made millions in network marketing. Right. No. I mean, I knew, you know, and that's probably added to my low opinion of it because I would see people start up and not stick with it and quit. Yeah. Or um, it was a bunch of women that were bored, kind of stay at home moms, you know, doing it for extra income. So I, I just it didn't resonate with me that I could potentially either replace or much less, you know, experience the financial freedom that I have now through network marketing. That was never even on, on my radar. She didn't come after me on money. And yes, Karen, you're absolutely right. You've got to find a product that resonates with you. Yeah. But she didn't come after me on money either because we made the same amount of money. Right. Really came after me on relationship. She just said, listen, your church is building a church. And, and the company she was with was an energy company that's still around. In fact, I think we might have some mutual friends that, that have been in that company. But um, they were a large uh, electricity and later natural gas company. And um, that was networking energy as a product. And she said, why don't you just switch a few electric bills? Texas had just deregulated and let all those proceeds because it's free for people to switch. You're not asking them for money. And yeah. all the proceeds that you make, you can just give it to your church's building campaign. And that way, Sean won't be mad at you. You know, so <laughs> that's sort of how I fell into network marketing. I mean, um, it's almost to the point where it got misconstrued later when I had a lot of success, people would call me up and say, okay, how did you set up the fundraiser with your church? And I'm like, I didn't do it that way. I, I have a little bit of a personal opinion on, on that kind of stuff. Um, I don't believe in, in asking churches to participate in network marketing because I don't ever want to be responsible for somebody not going back to church because they weren't successful in network marketing. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so at the end of the day, I just made it my personal mission. And, you know, it, it I, you know, I don't want to just keep talking forever, but it, it, I ended up sort of becoming famous in that company for the story of what led to me eventually going full time in network marketing, because I experienced um, almost uh, in, a, in a funny way, the power of residual income. And, um, you know, it, it was nuts. Yeah. Well, I think, and, and I, I, I personally think you should go to anybody and, and this is, this is why I, I like, I, I hear what you're saying about the church thing, but there is a point where people have to take personal responsibility for their own lives. It wouldn't be yeah. your fault. <laughs> like, yeah. well, like I failed at network marketing, so I'm never going back to church again. <laughs> like what? That's well, it wasn't crazy. about that. It was more about people thought I set up something with the pastor and had the pastor tell the oh. church about it. And, and I have an issue with that. You know, the one time Jesus kind of got upset in the Bible is with the money changers in the temple. So right. 
Um, and, and it's not that network marketing is gambling, um, right. but it, you know, in an extent to an extent, you don't know what people are going to do with their business. Um, yeah. just like stock market, the stock market's gambling to a degree because you don't sure. know what stocks are going to do long-term. Nobody has that crystal ball. So you can guess and you can hope and you can invest. Um, but you don't really know ultimately what the future holds. So right, that's a right. weird thing. But on my end, I just literally made a pledge between God and I, and I just, you know, adjust my halo over here. Um, <laughs> and I, I literally, when I started hitting that 250, I gave all my bonus money to the church. And then when I started hitting 250, 300 bucks a month, religiously, no pun intended, um, <laughs> I started having my checks direct deposited to my church. And then here's what I tell everybody. I quit network marketing. I stopped. I went back to my pharmaceutical job. I got real focused on that. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I had started. Uh, hold on. How, wait, wait, hold on. You, 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 um, you are the fastest talking Texan I've ever met. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hello, my New York side. <laughs> so I'm, I'm teasing you, but the, so you, you, you did network marketing for how long you, so you let you hold, hold it. Let me back up even further. Okay. You were working in pharmaceutical sales. Oh, what's her name? I can't remember her name now. Denise. Denise told you about, I said, Oh, what's her name? Denise tells you about this opportunity. Did you go to a, a network marketing meeting? Yes. Well, she, it, she basically, this is exactly how the conversation went. 1000%. I still remember where I was. I was getting out of my car at what was then called Gulf Coast Medical Group down here. Um, and uh, I was actually, um, you know, unloading stuff for a lunch and my phone rang and Denise literally goes, hey, what are you doing? And I said, I'm walking into a lunch right now. I really can't talk. Can I call you back? And she goes, no, 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 no. I, I have a business opportunity for you. And as soon as I heard those two words, no, uh, I was like, Denise, literally, I don't, I don't have time for this girl. Right. I, I do business opportunities, whatever potion, lotion, pill, home decor, juice, whatever you're selling. I will do a party for you. I will buy stuff from you, but I, I don't do network marketing. Thanks. I got to go. And she said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got to hear me out. It's electricity. And then I was like, <laughs> okay, what? Because it's electricity. And I go, what kind of parties do you do for that? Do you stick your tongue in a light socket and turn on and off light switches? I go, I don't know how many thousands of dollars you invested in this electricity pyramid thing, but yeah. get your money back. I mean, that's a scam. Right. And that's how it all started. And really, if you haven't met me, you know, which you have, I can be a little bit of a know-it-all. And I launched oh. to save her from herself. I was researching and I'm like, she's getting scammed. I'm going to look into this. And of course, the first thing I did when I put into kind of the new internet back then, I was like electricity, um, the name of the company. And the first thing that pops up is ripoff report or dog. And it was like, you know, it's scam, run for the hills. Like, and I'm sending her all this stuff. And she goes, huh, that's interesting because they have an energy license with the PUC, which I would have thought they would have done everything short of a colonoscopy on that company before they right. granted them an energy license. Right. And so those were the kind of arguments we were having. Yeah. And she just dug in like a pit bull. And wow. um, really ultimately what got me to my first meeting was her, her 
brother-in-law, who was really good looking, came down to Houston and she goes, just go meet Richard. He's a good looking guy. He's going to take you out, you know? And I'm like, I'm married. You're married. Married too. I'm not interested. But she's just funny about it. She's like, she's like, to bring some of your single girlfriends, they'll love him, you know? And I'm like, oh my gosh. And it, I found out later it's because she did not like her sister-in-law at the time, I think. Oh but anyway, it's funny. I'm just being real. So, I, but seriously, Richard's an amazing guy. We go to meet Richard. I bring my only friend in network marketing who had done 15 different companies. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. I'm exaggerating. But she'd done Mary Kay, Pamper Theft, yeah. all of them. And she was sort of my phone a friend that came with me and uh, we go and we have dinner and I was so cocky shocker. I was so cocky. I'm like, I'll, I'll make it over there if I can, you know, cause he had to go. He's like, we got to go TikTok. You know, it's starting right now. I'm like, you go ahead and go. I'm like, I didn't want to walk in first. Cause I thought they're going to be, you know, be like, Oh, we're so glad you're here. Here, sign in blood, you know, welcome to the cult. Yeah. And so I didn't want to be there early at all. And so I literally was just like, okay, well, I'll just roll in there, you know, I don't know, halfway through. Yeah. And so we get there late. Welcome to the cult. That yeah. is hilarious. Yeah. So we get there late. We roll in. First of all, we can't even get in the room. It is packed. And I mean, there's people in the hallways and I look over and I see a news anchor from, um, and I'm like, oh, she must be here to do the news. And then I come to find out, no, because they called her up and she's one of the speakers. And then oh, you know, there were some Astros in the room and some rocket players. And I was just like, wow, I'm an idiot, you know? So <laughs> at that point, I don't, and I was like, how much is it to join this thing again? <laughs> and they're like $329. And I'm like, and Denise looked at, well, she didn't look at me, but she told me this on the phone. She said, Jennifer, you have done stupider things with $329. And in Napa Valley, I watched you because I was buying wine. Like I must've bought $500 worth of wine. When we were out there for training, you know? Yeah. So I was like, all right, 329 bucks. We'll give it a, we'll give it a shot, you know? And it kind of became a game for me in the beginning. And yeah. it was just fun. And I did my first meeting and 14 drug reps showed up and we were in a little uh, back room kitchen at this place called Prego's in Rice Village here in Houston. And um, it only holds 12 and 14 showed up. They all signed up and that's how I got rolling. So uh, <clears throat> you, and the, were you, you were still working for the medical company. And yeah. So you were doing the side hustle gig. I love that. Oh. Yeah. And I was scared to death because You're like, you think this is cool, doc. Wait till you hear about my side hustle. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. And here's what's crazy. I never mixed the two almost yeah, to right. yeah. because I would find out that doctors, you know, later had joined this company <laughs> and I'm like, really? Uh, you know, I should have said something, but, uh, but I was too afraid, you know, so I was afraid. That is too funny you're like really <laughs> you joined and i like just talked to you yeah so, because my, my mindset you know you, you talk about breakthrough walls my mindset can honestly yeah. i think even when i went full-time in network marketing it was a good year and a half where i was still technically apologizing for network marketing like when people would go so what do you do at a party and i was no longer in pharma i'd be like i'd be like 
Yeah. Like whispering. And then what was crazy is when I finally started to own it, people were like, I did network marketing too one day, you know, one time, whatever, (laughs) you know, one day, two weeks, right here, you know, but they all started coming out of the woodwork and a lot of them were my friends. And I'm like, I never know, you, you know, okay, wait a minute. You were in network marketing. And I'm like, how come you never told me? And one thing I tell everybody now when I train is I'm like, you can't be a closet network marketer. That's like being, that's an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp or, you know, I mean, no, you've got to tell people that you're in business. Yeah. So I don't know. That's, that's what, what a great, what a great story. Number one. So, okay. So let's, so back to the, the story. I can't even believe we've been on here already 52 minutes. This is an hour long show. We're going to have to go over. A- anyway, that's insane. That that feels well, that's like not, that's not even the craziest story. And no, 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 no. in fact, they they would and I'll, I'll tell it to you really quickly, but they would trot me out like the mule at the Kentucky Derby to tell the story <laughs> at, at my old company. And that's because I worked it just just hard enough and long enough. Okay. Yeah. The essence of the word network. Hey, your network is your net worth, baby. Um, But I worked it just hard enough to get to that 300 bucks a month. And then I started having my checks direct deposited to my church. They had promoted me to a launch trainer for a new drug called Renexa that we were launching for CV Therapeutics. Um, Three kids, Christmas was coming up, had a ski trip, all the excuses in the world. And I'd started one of the largest meetings for that company here in Houston, but I sort of handed the reins over. And occasionally I would still go to the meetings, but I wasn't bringing anybody with me. I wasn't talking about the business. I wasn't signing anybody up. I'd literally gone dark. And our number one income earner, this guy, Presley Swaggerty in my old company, he was a former basketball coach and a math teacher. And I don't know if you know him or not, because he's Mm -hmm. a big speaker now. But he literally would call me and call me and call me. And every time I saw his number on my phone, I'd roll him to voicemail. Because <laughs> I didn't want him to give me some kind of Hoosiers, Coach Carter speak, you know, speech about get back in the game. You know, he like this, you know, he was always like, there's four keys to why the business is rock. That's how he talked. So he finally calls me from a number that I do not recognize. And I literally take his call and it was like running into my personal trainer with a chocolate <laughs> Coke in my cart. I was like, oh, well, uh, I've been busy and I'm sorry and blah. And he goes, oh, God. And to my surprise, he goes, well, I've just been trying to call you. Hang on, because I got to go into a meeting. I just got one thing I've been trying to tell you, you know, that he was like, talked real slow. And I'm like, hurry it up. So yeah. he literally tells me that I needed to log into my back office. And then he hung up on me. He was like, just log into your power center and call me back. Click. Rude. I was like, (laughs) I didn't, I didn't even remember how to log into my back office. Rude. Clue. I had no clue how to log. I couldn't remember my password. I had to wait till the next day because he called me in the evening. Oh my god. Ken, listen to this. So literally, (sighs) I go over to associates. Last time I'd looked at the number of associates. 3940. I had like 182 associates. Oh my gosh. So I go over to commissions, which they called MEI, monthly energy income. I go over to my MEI checks over $1,200 a month. 
being direct deposited to my to the church. Shut up. Serious as a heart attack, which my husband's like, no wonder Pastor Ruzika was like, thanks for coming. <laughs> like, you know, every Sunday. Like, and I tell, I, I would tell everybody from stage, I'm like, now I love Jesus and all. I quit having those checks direct deposited. And I was like, that's it. I'm, I'm a changed woman now because I tell everybody on a serious note, I'm like, oh, that 1200 bucks a month was life changing for oh. me as a drug rep because I made a lot more than that. It was that it had happened without me, without oh. me for like three months. I was gone. And I'm, and I oh, look out when I, when I would close out meetings for them later. I would look at people and say, could you walk away from what you're doing right now and go park your butt on a hammock in Belize and order yourself a pina colada for three months and even have a job or a small business, much less a raise when you got back? And the answer, 90% of the population was hell no. Right. (laughs) I'd be out of business or I'd be fired from my job. Right. I, I was hooked. I was like, I, I got a taste of what that was like. And I was watching a lot of people around me making five and six figures a month. Yeah. A month. I, you, you don't see that. You know, here I am with my little, whew, I'm all important because I'm making six figures a year. Right. <clears throat> that totally took the lid off what I thought was possible financially. Wow. Totally. Yeah. Wow. What a funny story. I I mean, unless you have somewhere to be, let's just keep going. You don't mind, do you? I'm good. I've got another podcast at seven o'clock tonight, but other than that, JR said, close the deal. Rebook her. No, we're not rebooking you. We're going to keep going. So I'm I'm going to petition to get the the Glenn, Ken, and uh, what was it? Get Glenn, Ken, Ken, Glenn, and and Scott. And a guy named Scott, Jen, Glenn, Ken, and a guy named Scott. How did you all of a sudden get top billing on a show that's not even yours? Oh, did I say that with my name first? So he's first. Yeah, right. So, so um, I'm just teasing. So you went. I know you are. You went to. I mean, so you so you find out that your your you're investing $1,200 a month into the growth of your church. Um, and, and, and you were like, crap. I was, I was literally like, Oh my gosh. And then I kind of, you know, went the other way. Like I got so excited about network marketing that in, in a way what had made me successful in the beginning sort of stopped because I tried to take, what was making me successful in pharmaceutical sales. And suddenly I brought that over into like home meetings. I started taking over presentations instead of using tools um, like DVDs or, you know, videos or whatever. Um, I started wearing a suit. I started giving PowerPoints, you know, and people loved it. Great information, (laughs) but they stopped. Yeah. And I found out later, actually it was another top earner in that company who, when I wasn't seeing any more growth, and I was kind of complaining about it one day, like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I mean, I'm doing these fabulous meetings. Everybody says you're this great speaker and they love the information, but they're not signing up. Right. Said, oh, God. He goes, please don't tell me that you brought the hotel meeting into your living room. 
And I said, what do you mean? And he said, here's the problem in network marketing. People need to know that they can do it. Yep. And he said, and you're, and you're great, Jennifer. I mean, you are that you're awesome. We love you, but you're standing up there in your suit, giving a PowerPoint, doing the number one thing that people, you know, fear ahead of death, which is public speaking. Yeah. And they're like, man, it's great. But I, you know, I have to buy a laptop. I have to buy a suit. Yep. I gotta be that girl. And it yep. wasn't duplicatable. Well, and, and, you know, <clears throat> Ray Higdon, who's a friend of mine, and I think you're friends with Ray. Um, he, he tells a similar story mm-hmm. about how he saw these, these people, um, not sign up with this fantastic guy that was decked out and dressed to the nines. And, and then he's, some woman comes along that's like very, very, very average yeah. and, and kind of not even dressed well and just, and everybody signed, literally everybody in the room signed up when she was done. Well, one and of my reasons is because they thought, yeah, I can do it. You can do it. I can do it. Exactly. And one of my longtime mentors, in fact, he's the CEO of the company I'm with now, Logan Stout. Um, he literally, I mean, he was a cocky, you know, ex-pro baseball player. Um, when he got dragged to his first meeting in network marketing, it was the same thing. And he said, this woman walked out and she was making, you know, all this money. She's a top earner and he's watching her. And he was like, Jennifer, she was horrible. I mean, horrible. And he said, he literally leaned over to his friend and he goes, how much money is this lady making a month? Oh my gosh. If she's making that, I'm going to make 20 times that, you know? And so, you know, people think they have to be a salesperson or they have to be the slick professional. Um, but really, I tell people now more than ever in network marketing, um, what I love about our industry because of all the technology we have now yeah. is it's so easy to use tools. It's so easy to use tools and and let it do all that work for you. You yeah. know, <clears throat> I love that. I absolutely love. And I, I remember Ray, Ray telling me that story very similar. Okay. I was like, oh my God, that's so true. It's, it's, that's what, that's what causes people to fail is they, yeah. they get into their mind that they can't do it. They cannot accomplish what Jennifer's doing. So, although that was a fantastic pre- presentation and man, the numbers look good. Yeah. Going to be for somebody else, not me. I'm not capable of that. Yeah, and they they actually, you know, I, and I know you've heard the term before, but they actually call it ignorance on fire, right? Yeah. When you're brand new, and your ignorance on fire. That's yeah. usually when you have your most success because you're so scared that you're using all the tools because you don't know. Like even when I started, uh, you know, with my first company, I was using a DVD. I was just running around yeah. going, "You got to hear this guy that talks like this," you know, and I plug <laughs> it in and. You know, and then there was another guy who was a cowboy that was there with him and he was hilarious. And, and I was like, they're amazing. But the more times I watched it, the more I thought, oh, they forgot this because I got more knowledge. So I'm like, oh, they forgot to tell about this and they need to tell about that. And then yeah. suddenly what went from like, you know, a 20 minute little DVD, I was keeping the person sitting there for an hour and a half overselling them, you know, yep. instead of just saying, you know, is this for you or not? Boom. You know, so yeah, exactly that or they overthink it. Yeah. Yep. So, so you, um, you did the energy thing for, for 
how long? Eight years. It was eight years. And um, I, I jokingly say I failed my way to the top. Uh, I was the girl that they sort of made fun of because it was a coded comp plan. Not that anybody would know that who's not in network marketing, what that is. But it basically means you have to build separate teams each time you advance. And every time I would rank advance and had to start over, I'd be like, oh, and I'd quit. <laughs> basically, I would wow. disappear. And then yeah. I would come back, which is unusual. Usually, you know, it's that whole, you know, law of physics, right? A body right. in motion remains in motion. A body at rest remains at rest. Right. But I would come back and because I don't know. I, I mean, really, from a personal development standpoint and, you know, fast forward now, you know, I'm a John Maxwell certified coach and I, I love John Maxwell. And he wrote in the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, you know, the number one um, thing about the law of the lid is that your level of success and your level of influence or income or any of that will never exceed your level of personal growth. Right. And I was not growing. I was a know-it-all. I was like, I don't need to learn anything. I'm teaching people. You know, I was a district trainer <laughs> in pharmaceutical. Yeah. Right. You know, that right. was me. So, um, I really had this unteachable and coachable side to me. And um, it took a lot of failure and a lot of failing and watching people succeed anyway. You know, where I was like, well, how did that person while I was gone for three months rank advance? How did that guy from like, he, you know, he was a friend of mine, this guy, Trey Dyer, but like he was from Baird, Texas. You know, I think they have like, one stoplight, a tumbleweed and a cop car, you know, and, and he, he rank advanced to the top of the company in like 10 months or something crazy. And I'd been there for four years slogging, wow. you know, and, and hadn't gotten to that level. And you come to a point, I think, and, and I think all entrepreneurs do this as well. And it's a lot of what causes breakthrough, I believe, but you just come to this point where you can't blame your situation anymore. You have to look in the mirror and realize if it is to be, it's up to me. And I, I need to grow. I need to get around other people. I need to get mentored. I need to yeah. humble myself and submit myself to being teachable and coachable. Um, because it, it reminds me of, I mean, Ken, I know you're about my age, but you remember Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Of course. Remember Spicoli? They wrecked the car. Dude, dude, and he's like, my dad. <laughs> what is he? Oh, my dad's a refrigerator repair man. He's got an awesome <laughs> set of tools. Remember? Yeah. So they're gonna try to fix a car with a TV repair man or refrigerator repair man tools, and that's yeah. what people do in network marketing. They come into network marketing with their set of tools, and right. they try to apply them, and from their from their job and. Yeah. It, it doesn't work. I mean, so my number one prerequisite is they got to be, you know, coachable and teachable. Weldon, you should do it. It's a, it's a great program. The coaching program, it's amazing. Um, and, you know, a lot of people don't maximize, you know, it sounds like a pun again, but they don't maximize their Maxwell coaching um, like they should. It, it's almost like network marketing or any yeah. industry, right? You got 2% yeah. that really apply what they learned and go for it. Yep. Um, but it's the same way in the coaching program, but it's a great program really is. Wow. So, so you, um, you left the energy company, I guess you left completely. Yeah. So that was an interesting journey. I, I had some personal reasons for leaving too. Um, I, I, we were doing a lot of traveling. 
um, with that company. Um, obviously, we were regulated. You know, some states were deregulated, some weren't. So we would achieve our license in the states and we would open new states. And when that would happen, you're gone because it's like a whole new company launch. And um, it was a little bit crazy. It had taken a toll a little bit on my family. Um, after eight years, I was the number 40, 40. I don't know how that works on here. Um, earner. Uh, so, you know, I was top 50. I'd reached the highest level of the company. I was driving the the free Mercedes Benz that they offered. Um, and and I had I was making, let's just put it this way. I was making just enough to stay home with my kids. But I still wasn't knocking it out of the park. I mean, I, and I really hadn't even started to, in terms of overall income package wise, I hadn't replaced my income in, in pharma, but you know, when you get a taste of residual income and really living life on your terms, making, let's say 3,500 to $6,000 a month and you can stay at home and still make that um, versus go work at a job and trade hours for dollars, it, it, it ends up being a cash equivalent business. And, and it's like living on royalties or, or right, right. whatever. So I was used to it. I didn't want to go back and get a job. And I was literally sitting on a beach at a top earners award trip for my other company when rumors were flying around the beach that our number two earner, uh, Logan Stout was going to be starting his own network marketing company. And you know, of course, he instantly became the plague, like nobody yeah. wanted to be around him. Um, and honestly, I wasn't unhappy. I mean, I'll, I still say it to this day. That company was my first love. I learned everything there. The people there, many of them to this day are still like family to me and I adore them. And um, it, it, it was really kind of strange. And so I'll say this. We hear that rumor and then I go home. And it was about two months later and it was in July, early July of 2013. And I'm cleaning my house. And at the time, I never watched the news at all. Um, I had sort of gone through enough personal development to have turned off the boob tube. But I flipped on the TV just for noise. It was on Fox News. And there was Logan. It was like a God thing. He's on Fox National News uh, being interviewed in a segment titled, Can You Be a Multimillionaire by the Age of 25? And I sat down on my couch and I thought, wow. And, and, and Logan was always really great. He was part of my upline in my former company. He would call me all the time. He was 12 years younger than me, but he was kind of like wonder boy, you know? And yeah. that's sort of what I chalked it up to was, of course, he's going to go start his own network marketing company. That's a logical next step. He had been a top earner at um, AdvoCare. Um, he had gone to the company I was with, became a top earner number two. And I'd watched him make $150,000, $200,000 a month in that company, you know. And um, he had started the Dallas Patriots, which he still owns to this day. It's one of the world's largest select baseball organizations. He's just a badass like you, Ken. And uh, when I, I saw him. I don't baseball team. Yeah, well, you've got yeah. Rand Cardone's number in your cell phone. <laughs> that makes you a badass in my book since I'm obsessed with Grant. But anyway, so fast forward, um, I literally finally just picked up the phone and called him. And I said, all right, I got to know what you're doing. And um, he started to tell me and, you know, without going into a big sales pitch on the company, yeah. I was super impressed, but I was, you know, my Dun & Bradstreet background kicked in and I said, wow, it's a startup. You know, my other biotech company had been a startup and there was a lot of hiccups. And yeah. plus I knew from being in D&B that, you know, the reason most small businesses fail is due to lack of capital. So the first thing I said is, well, how much capital have you raised, you know, to start the business? 
And he said, well, my goal is to raise um, about $5 million in strategic capital over the next few weeks. And I said, well, when you've done that, call me back. And mm. he called me back in 72 hours. He had raised over $10 million. He had cut off investing. And the one that got me was he texted me. And by the way, Ross Perot now owns 5% of the company. Wow. And I don't know about you, Ken, but I figure the Perot family knows a little bit more about business plans than I do. So yeah. I literally said, I will be in Dallas in two days. And that's how it started. And um, wow. And then I kind of went through what I consider the next four to six months was like a journey between heaven and hell because I cut ties with my former company. Um, I'll try to make it a short story, but I cut ties with my former company. I resigned. Uh, of course, they told everybody they terminated me, which was not the case. Um, in the beginning, the whole thing was supposed to be amicable because they said, hey, it's wellness. We don't care. And we understand you want to be home more and everything's fine. But I guess when they saw sort of the influence that I had, um, they freaked out and um, made an example out of me because there were some other people that had left and gone to other companies and they didn't come after them like that. But um, they petitioned for me to unfriend over a thousand people on Facebook saying that I was cross recruiting them simply because, wow. um, you know, they weren't in my downline and we'd become friends. And, um, it, they were just, they were threatened basically and trying to blow my role. And, um, ironically, the vast majority of my team didn't even come from my old company. Um, a lot of it came from people just watching me for eight years, build something else and be consistent with it and be credit, you know, the credibility and, and all of that and the relationships. And plus some people who didn't like energy liked health and wellness. So, right, right. Um, it, it, you know, but I went through a lot. I mean, they tried to sue me for a hundred thousand dollars, just FYI. Um, of course wow. that, never, that never went through. You can Google it. Um, but it never went through. Um, it's not, it's not out there anywhere. Uh, so I'm just telling you that, but it, it was a crazy ride and I got my heart broken in a lot of ways. Uh, but it gave me purpose. And I always say hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And um, <laughs> I literally would envision the CEO of my former company walking into a room like I'd seen him do with other people and say, Jennifer Moran went to this company and failed. And that's what got me out of bed every day and put my feet on the floor and made me work my ass off. And um, when we officially launched, I was the number one income earner. And um, I've held that position for the last six years. Wow. Uh, that may change this year. Kind of a long story as to why. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been an amazing ride. I love the company that I'm with. Um, I love the people. And I've had a massive opportunity to change people's lives through not only health and wellness, but also financially over the last 14 years and on the financial side. Do you get a free car with this company? You know, it's interesting the way this company set up is part of what attracted me to it. Um, it's called, and I'll just say the name of the company, it's called ID Life, and it stands for Individually Designed Life. And Logan really felt like it would be somewhat hypocritical to talk about individually designed life because the core of what we do is individually designed vitamins based on your DNA um, and your epigenetics, which is your lifestyle through an assessment that's HIPAA compliant. So he said, I can't we can't talk about personalized vitamins and then be a personalized company and have everybody driving a one size fits all car. And plus Logan was a theology major from DBU. He was a youth pastor for a long time. And a lot of these network marketing programs are get into debt programs where they give you the money for the car, 
but you go buy the car, you lease the car, right. but if you don't qualify for the car the next month, you lose the money. Right, right. A lot of people don't realize is that materialism sends people out to buy a car, but then if they don't qualify, they're struggling to make the payment. So the way ID Life does it, they put it right into your check. Um, it's part of the car bonus program. You can use it to pay off the car that you have. You can go buy a new car with it if you choose. Um, but we didn't want it to be a get into debt program. So. Wow. Pretty cool. That is so awesome. That's awesome. And you've been the number one income earner for six years, six years. Uh, I guess it, it became, a, we did a soft launch in January of 2014 yeah. Um, and then our hard launch was May of 2014. So it's been about six years. Yeah. And, but recently wow. another health and wellness company kind of um, sort of did their reps dirty. I felt like that's another long story that we yeah. should do at another time, but um, sort of said, let them eat cake. Um, and um, but they've merged with ours for, for all intents and purposes. So mm -hmm. that may change the, the rankings, but I don't want to say I don't care. I'm a competitive person, but at the end of the day, you, you start network marketing for the money, but what keeps you there is the mission of changing lives. Yeah. And um, if it just adds more voice for us to get out there and really talk to people about um, living their best life possible, physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally, that's what I'm about. So um, that's where I'm at. Jennifer Moran. Never to be confused, by the way, with Moron. Moron. Where's Al Yankovic? Because <laughs> you're <laughs> not. You're, you are a brilliant, brilliant, very talented woman. And I'm, I'm like, your story is hilarious. The funniest part for me was when you said, I love Jesus and all. <laughs> I do. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a sad part of my story, but yeah, it's, it's no, it's actually an awesome part. I, I love that. So, you know, look, I am, um, I'm very grateful that you, you, uh, we finally got you on the show. I, I, we were talking the other day. I said, why haven't you been on my show yet? And you're like, I haven't been invited. And I'm like, I invited you. <laughs> So anyway, thank you for being here. I mean, wow. I want to I ask you one last question before we go. Um, and and this is I ask every guest this question at the end. Um, my my wife my wife loves you. By the way, she's she's Aww, been making comments. You. Yeah, you're awesome. Well, so my my question is this: What do you think holds most people back? from success and happiness in life? Belief in themselves, 1000%. Everything starts with belief. All of it starts with belief. Um, not just what you think about where you're headed, but but ultimately what you think about yourself. Um, and, and I can't take 100% credit for that, but I, but I do know whether it's biblical, which it's also biblical, everything starts sure. with faith, right? Uh, it, it's just, it's all about faith. But Maxwell said it, that just statistically, um, the number one reason people don't do personal growth or personal development is that they don't feel worthy of it. Mm. And that that resonates uh, so much with me, um, you know, and I, I'll just be transparent. I mean, Ken, and you and I were just talking about it the other day yeah. about imposter syndrome. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, other people can tell you how good you are. 
but sometimes you don't really believe how good you are. Right. Like it brings tears to my eyes because I, I've sat across from people and 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 you're looking like, for example, I, I just I just judged a um, beauty pageant. Uh, a good friend of mine owns um, a pageant in the Miss USA system here. And um, four years ago, I was the Miss Judge. This year, I was the teen judge. And there was a gorgeous girl that we interviewed standing right in front of me, absolutely drop dead beautiful, um, had everything on her interview sheet to be successful. But she had experienced some trauma. She had actually uh, been in, uh, she walked past a shooter um, that was coming in to shoot up her school. She was oh. in And it had frightened her and taken away a lot of her confidence. Um, and I just looked at this beautiful young girl who had zero confidence in herself and she did well in the, in the, in the pageant, but she didn't win. And um, ironically, I found out after the fact um, quite a while after the fact that she was the daughter of a friend of mine that I'd lost touch with. Um, and this lady reached out to me and I, I ended up having a very candid conversation. She said, would you mentor my daughter? And I said, you know, there's pageant judges, or not judges, uh, coaches that would be better at that than me. But I yeah. said, the number one thing she needs to do is believe in herself. She needs to believe in herself and have confidence to, to give her that swagger and to give her that initiative to realize that even if she goes for it and fails, she can still get up and go again because there is no such thing as failure unless you don't try again. Then it becomes yeah. failure. But it, but if you just keep going, you know, you can eventually um, get there. And so it's it all starts with belief, man. What what is so if if they're you know, let's say look, everybody goes through it. Everybody goes through it. Yeah. Everybody goes through the the feeling like they're not capable or they're not good enough. Everybody. I've heard Ed Milet talk about it, Andy Frisella talk about it, Grant Cardone talk about it. I've heard all of these giants talk about it. And 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 so what do you think the if somebody is feeling less than not capable, not good enough, what's the step? What's the first step that they need to take to increase that? that confidence in themselves. I would say number one, go serve someone else, go serve someone else in whatever capacity you can, can do it in. Um, that's what I would say overall, because it's, 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 it's literally science that you can't be depressed, for example, which depression is often tied to your belief about yourself. Um, yep. but the sheer fact that you're saying it's my belief about myself, that's making me sad honestly, is almost a reverse form of narcissism. Now, yeah. I'm not talking about the depression that's caused chemically. I'm talking about people who are like poor, pitiful me, right? Yeah. That's a reverse form of narcissism. And when you can get out of that and go serve someone without caring about yourself, I, I used to coach people on public speaking the same way. The reason people are afraid of public speaking is because they're so wrapped up in what are they thinking about me right now? Like, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, I could really use some wrinkle cream and wow, oh. and Botox and man, this hair. You could sit there all day long and think of what <laughs> people make fun of you for, right? Yeah. Um, or you can say, listen, I am here as a soul to serve. And I'm here, I'm up here for a reason. They've asked me to teach on something and there's someone I need to teach. And I don't care if I'm standing here in a paper sack with no makeup on and a ball cap, which normally I'm in my 
you know, killing it hat. Yeah, I want one of those hats. It's coming. Um, <laughs> but the bottom line is uh, you, you've got to get over yourself and go serve someone else. And in doing so, and, and of course, here's where I take everybody to church. I, I just believe that God gave you your own fingerprint for a reason. There's nobody before you or nobody after you quite like you. And if it, whether you believe in God or not, or a creator or karma, I don't know what it is. But how weird is it that you have a fingerprint that no one else on the planet ever had, will have, or does have? Right. That is like a signature that you are a masterpiece. And I love like how your friend, Glenn Morshower, another amazing rock star you're aligned with, Mr. Rockstar. Uh, <laughs> Glenn Morshower. I, I love him, right? Agent Pierce on 24. Yeah. He always says, hey, man, you won the big swim. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. I mean, you're, you came out a winner. You beat yep. billions of sperm to the egg. You're here. And yep. God gave you your own fingerprint saying, all right, you're here. You just accepted the mission. Go serve. And if you can just do that, you will see the greatness reflected back on you because the people you are serving will tell you how you serve them. And that will give you insight into what you're able to do ultimately. And that will give you that belief because you'll be like, man, if Ken Wall said it, that must be true. You know, he told me that I could do this, this, this and this, which, you know, is your one of your greatest gifts. You, in the short time I've known you, you are an encourager, man. And you're a talent scout. You can see people's gifts and talents. He gave you that gift of discernment, man. And when you come at people with that discernment and that encouragement, and it comes back at you, you're like, wow, I believe in myself. I'm going to go jump in that phone booth and come out Wonder Woman, you know, or yeah. Superman because somebody believed in you. And um, sometimes it takes that. It takes people believing in you, even when you don't believe in yourself, um, to, to, to make it happen. You know, um, thank you for the kind words about me, but this isn't about me. It's about you. And I, I got to tell you, you are a freaking rock star. And um, I won't go into the conversations you and I've had, but I, I will I will tell everybody watching this or listening to this on any podcast platform that if you are not following Jennifer Moran, you are going to miss out on a freaking like. Her stories today have been phenomenal, but just wait, because she's got some stuff coming for y'all that that you'll see. The world isn't even ready for what you're getting ready to deliver. So, Jen, and I'm allowed to call you Jen. Jen, you're amazing. I love you. I appreciate you coming on and spending time with us today and being open and vulnerable and funnier than hell. We, I mean, we need to, we need to do like a virtual happy hour. That'd be even more fun. <laughs> I don't drink. I'm, oh, I, right. I, I, I celebrate. Right. One thing I just learned about you the other day that you don't drink. I celebrate 18 years sober this coming Monday. Why don't we do a virtual happy hour where you actually show up and you're just happy? There you go. I'm always happy. We could market that, Ken. <laughs> a happy hour. With no alcohol, shocking, you just have to be happy. Happy, that's it. In fact, don't come to the happy hour if you're not happy. Karen wants to know if you're on Instagram. I am, girlfriend. Please connect with me. Grow. And on Facebook. 
Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. Yeah, I'm on Instagram and uh, and I have a website, growwithjmo.com, where you will see my glamour shots. <laughs> so join me there. You are awesome. Thank you. Don't hang up on me. Thank you. And everybody who shared this out, thank you. Everyone who's watched, thank you. If you, didn't share, if you didn't share it out, we're going to come back and publicly shame you. I'm kidding. <laughs> Wag I'm our kidding. finger at you. <laughs> thank you, Jen. I appreciate you. I loved it. Loved it. Thank you. You rock. We'll see you guys later. Bye.